Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Cornerstone Church, would you welcome for the second time Pastor Manny Arango. We love you. You're a gift. We're thankful for you. Can we worship the only God who deserves any claps? I don't deserve any of your honor. Come on, there's a God who woke you up this morning, got you started. Come on, there's some people that you know, they went through the same storm you went through and it shipwrecked them, but you survived. Come on, God has been good. God, I don't even understand why you've been so good to me. When I look at my own track record, there's nothing that would qualify me for your blessings on my life. I don't deserve your presence. I don't even deserve to stand before you, but your grace and your mercy has never failed me. God, we worship you in this room. We acknowledge your presence and we bow before you. God, there's nobody like you. Anointing of God, move in the room today. Spirit of the living God, breathe life over dry bones today. Hey, we worship you. I feel the Holy Ghost in the room. I feel the Holy Ghost in the room. Come on, he inhabits. He doesn't inhabit the holiness of his people. Just good news. But some all. Sometimes I got good weeks, sometimes I got bad weeks. If he inhabit my holiness, he'd be homeless from time to time. He doesn't inhabit the joy of his people. Sometimes I lose my temper. He doesn't inhabit the peace of his people. Or sometimes I, I panic. But he inhabits the one thing that I can control. He inhabits the one thing that is always a decision of my will. Not about circumstances or my mood. He inhabits the praises of his people. And when we begin to worship him, God shows up. And when he shows up, anxiety's gotta move out of the way. When he shows up, depression's got to move out of the way. He doesn't co-occupy space. He doesn't cohabitate with dysfunction. When he shows up, disease moves out of the way. When he shows up, fear moves out of the way. 
diabetes moves out of the way. So you came to the right place today. If there's some issue that you've been dealing with, he inhabits the praise of his people. As I was on the front row and, and the worship team, I mean, beautifully led us in the presence of the Lord, um, I had a new thought. And if this is my first time here, I wouldn't give a new thought. Because I typically go with what I know works. But it's my second time here. So I'm gonna give a new thought. Something I've never said before or seen before. And, and, and I got my iPad because I want to quote the Bible to you. And, and I, I think this is from the Holy Ghost, we'll see. <laughs> I hope this helps somebody. This is Acts chapter 16. We know this story. This is a very familiar story. Paul and Silas are locked up in prison. It says that about midnight, they start praising. In the middle of difficulty, in the middle of hardship, in the middle of pain, in the middle of obeying God and having consequences for obeying God. They get locked up and they start to worship. And I would run around the church if the Bible says that Paul and Silas's jail cell is freed, but the Bible says that the whole prison, everybody gets free. Withholding worship is the most selfish thing you can do because your praise over there unlocks freedom for somebody over here. I wonder if there's somebody in the room who you're saying, I'm not even praising for myself. I'm praising because I sense depression over there. And baby, I know you don't got enough strength to praise for yourself. I got you. I praise for you. You praise for me. Because the God of the breakthrough will set us all free. If I give him praise, everybody will get free. If you didn't come to church strong enough to praise for yourself, you don't got to worry. There's a mother on the front row. She's worshiping for your breakthrough. Oh, come on. We declare the God of the breakthrough is in the room. I prayed for you today. You walked in here anxious, we prayed for you today. You walked in here confused, we prayed for you today. And we take dominion and authority over every foul thing that has tried to claim your life and claim your mind. We will worship you into freedom. Here we go. That's not the new thought. Earthquake happens. All the prison doors open. Everyone has the ability to leave. The Roman guard who's there freaks out. Because if these prisoners leave, I'm gonna die. Pulls out his sword to commit suicide because he understands the circumstance. Here's a new thought. Verse 28, Acts 16. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Sometimes we think worship is just 
the atmosphere where God provides freedom. Worship is actually the atmosphere where God provides contentment. Uh-oh, 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 uh-oh. What happens when you've worshiped from such a deep place that you don't see your prison as a prison anymore? Where you say, I've got the ability to leave, but I don't see the open door as God's provision. I see it as a test. And I have worshiped to the point that God has made me so content that I've turned my prison into a sanctuary. I've turned the very thing that the enemy meant for my evil. I've let the presence of God turn a dark place into a work, into a room that I don't want to escape from anymore. Paul shouted, we are all here because we are caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I used to not be happy about the circumstance, but God entered the room. And now the circumstance doesn't bother me like it used to. So often we pray for the earthquake. Woo! So that we can get out. God says, I know that you're mature when I send the earthquake and you can get out but you're so caught up in my presence that you don't see the open door as an opportunity to escape. You have transformed the environment in such a way that the prison is now a place that is comfortable for you. God doesn't just want to deliver you. God wants to change your perspective, change your mind. What good is worship if all God ever does is swoop in like the hero and set us free? Worship is supposed to give you a new mind and a new perspective to say, man, this marriage I've been complaining about, you know what? We've begun to worship together and I used to want out of this, but now I want to stay because I've transformed this into a place where God dwells. Come on, let's lift up our hands all over the room. God, we thank you. We're not going to curse the prison. Anoint us to be effective, even in an environment that doesn't seem conducive to your power and your anointing. Holy Spirit, empower us in such a way today that we leave here transformed, different, changed, so that we can be a cornerstone for the community around us. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. There's nothing that a guest speaker has to offer, but God, you can do anything. So God, we get out of your way. I've got a sermon, but you've got a message. So I ask that you would speak clearly today. We don't want anybody leaving saying that guest speaker, he spoke a good word. No, we want everyone leaving saying the Holy Ghost spoke to me in a real way. And God, you're the only one who can do that. God, I ask that you would help me to pick up the instrument of your word and to use it with precision and power. Holy Spirit, slay every giant in the room. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, we put a demand on heaven's supply. Let's say amen, amen, amen. Give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can high-five somebody and take your seat. I'm excited to be in the house. Am I the only one who is excited about the Holy Ghost in the room? 
this is a special church. I like y'all. I like y'all. Um, I'm, I'm here today uh, because I posted on Instagram uh, that I was on a book tour. I came out with a book, y'all. I'm the first. Uh, let me tell you why this is so important. Um, um, and, and I posted on Instagram that I was on this book tour. The, our publishers got us on, you know, this crazy mad sprint uh, all over America. And we've been to Seattle. We've been to Phoenix. We were just in Chicago yesterday. Oh, man, we, we've been all over. And I uh, posted on Instagram, and your awesome pastor, Pastor Phil, uh, reached out and, uh, and, and said, no Toledo date. And I said, well, let's fix that, okay? So uh, I came out with a book, and, and let me, let me kind of give you a, a, a preface of the book. I'm actually going to preach a chapter from the book today that I believe will bless your life. And um, I gave a little bit of my testimony the last time I was here, but let me kind of elaborate. My father took me to a crack house for the first time when I was five years old, okay? Uh, my mother was pregnant with my older sister at the age of 12, my mother didn't just uh, drop out of high school. My mother dropped out of middle school, okay? Uh, I've got two aunts. Both of them are prostitutes. I've got four uncles. Two of them have died for uh, uh, liver issues because they were alcoholics. My uncles were so, so addicted to alcohol, you couldn't have Listerine around them. No Purell, no Listerine. If there was any alcohol content in anything, okay, my uncles were going for it, okay? I met most of my cousins while they were incarcerated, okay? On the, my daddy's side of the family, they just as crazy, okay? Uh, my grandmama still sells cocaine to this day outside of an ice cream truck in Miami, okay? That's the Cuban side of my family, all right? Any Hispanic people in the room? Any Hispanic people in the room? No? A couple of y'all? Okay, come on. Uh, uh, and so I, I am the poster child for dysfunction, okay? The first time I grabbed a microphone to preach, I started preaching at 13 years old, in my holy imagination, I could see a council in hell, and the enemy was mad because the enemy sat down with all the demons that were assigned to my family and said, how did we let an orango slip? Because orangos have been locked up and bound and incarcerated and aborted, and orangos have been dysfunctional for four or five generations. What? did y'all do? And the demons must have said, well, we stopped watching the Arango family because we put them on autopilot. We assume that one wasn't going to get out. And baby, one got out. I'm the first Arango to be a preacher. I'm the first Arango to be a property owner. I'm the first Arango to graduate from college. I'm the first Arango with a master's degree. I'm the first Arango to get an earned doctorate. I'm the first Arango to sign the front of checks, not the back of checks. I'm the first Arango to have a baby after marriage, not before. I'm the first Arango to love my wife. I'm the first Arango to be in therapy. I'm the first Arango in my right mind. I'm the first Arango to break the generational curse that has been on my family for generations, and I won't be the last Arango. I'm the first Arango to be a billboard for the fact that God can do anything, and a generational curse only has power if you believe in it. If you allow it to be a crutch, you will blame your mama and your dad and your uncles and your aunts but let me help you when you get to heaven you are gonna have to stand before God and give an account for what you did with your life you are not gonna be able to blame anybody who neglected
neglected you or abused you or who was dysfunctional because the day you got saved, your biological parents stopped being your parents and your spiritual parent started being your parent and the DNA you were born into, the DNA of Adam stopped being imprinted on you and the DNA of Jesus began to imprint on your soul. The, the blood of my earthly father stopped running through my veins and the blood of Calvary started running through my veins. All of the principles that were required for me to unlearn, unlearn victim, victim mentality, unlearn a poverty mindset, unlearn a proclivity towards anxiety. You get taken to a crack house for the first time at five, you're going to be anxious. To unlearn, my mother struggled with depression my whole life. To unlearn depressive mindsets. To unlearn suicidal mindsets. To unlearn insecure mindsets. All of the principles that it required of me to unlearn the brainwashing of my family of origin. And to actually allow the blood of the lamb and the water of the word to begin to cleanse my mind. I put all those principles in a book and the name of that book is Brainwashed. Okay? Because I believe that everything that God has for you is on the other side of you being free in your mind. Your mind is the most powerful tool you have. Your mind, that thing in between your ears. You can think your way into prosperity. You can think your way into freedom. You can think your way into peace. You can think your way into joy. You can think your way into intimacy with God. Every single thing that you need to achieve, the purpose that God has for you is on the other side of getting your mind right. I know people with all the opportunities in the world, but they can't get their mind right. And because they can't get their mind right, they, uh, they think they need people they don't need. And relationships begin to pull them down. They think that their issue is a money issue. Your, your issue is not money. Your issue is your mind. Your issue is not other people. Your issue is what you think. And so I wrote a book to help people get back control of your mind because the Bible says you have the ability to take every thought captive but if we're gonna be honest in church come on all the Pharisees you are dismissed if we're gonna be honest in church for a lot of us your mind is holding you captive not the other way around and we want to declare every anxious thought we can hold captive every depressing thought we can hold captive Every suicidal thought we can hold captive. Every judgmental thought we can hold captive. Every thought of comparison we can hold captive. Every thought that tells you you are not enough, that you're never going to be enough, that you're always going to be an addict, we hold those thoughts captive. And so I wrote this book, and uh, I'm going to tell you a story from chapter 2, then we're going to get into the word. We're going to get to chapter 7 of the book. I, I got into therapy around the age of 25, okay, uh, because, you know, I I the altar calls were great. The altar calls it a lot. I don't think therapy would have worked if I hadn't been in a church that actually took dominion and took authority over all the stuff that was happening. You know what I'm saying? So the altar calls were great, but somewhere around 25, I realized, now nah, I'm still a little crazy, okay? <laughs> My parents did some damage, all right? Uh, can we be real in church? Can we, we dismiss all the Pharisees. Can we be real? Sitting across from a therapist, and I'm talking about my father. And I said, you know, you know I, I've watched my dad do absolute crazy things. He took me to a crack house at five for the first time. It wasn't the last time. 
okay? Uh, my dad, I watched my dad steal our TV and sell it for drugs. I mean, my, my father is, is a character, okay? And so I'm talking about my father, I'm venting about my father, and I began to say, you know, my dad did more damage to me with his words than his actions. My dad had this way with words. He could talk his way into anything, talk his way out of anything. My dad was a drug user and a drug abuser. He was, he was drug addicted, but, but he always kept a job. And he was a contractor, and he was able to get $30,000, $40,000 as a down payment for any job and then never show up because this man could sell water to a well, okay? My dad could talk you into a timeshare, okay? My <laughs> no. There's some people who have bought timeshares in the room, okay? No offense, no offense. It's a good investment, okay. <laughs> my father had a way with words. My dad could talk you into anything. My dad could weave a web of deception. You would know my daddy is lying and you would still wanna believe him because he was that good with his words. Therapist looked at me and said, sounds like your father left you a powerful set of gifts. At this point, I'm annoyed. <laughs> I'm frustrated, okay. I'm not, I wasn't as mature as I am today. And I remember saying to the therapist, I did not come here for you to challenge me, confront me, or offend me. And I, I, it's funny today, it wasn't funny when I said it. I said, how about you put your little notebook down and listen to what I got to say, okay? <laughs> I was mad, okay? I was big mad. The therapist said, how about you describe your father to me one more time? I said, yeah, but dad could talk his way into anything, talk his way out of anything. My father had a gift with words. My father, uh, man had the charisma that could light up a room. My father could sell water to a well. My father was deceiving. He was a liar. Oh my goodness. My dad did more damage to me and my mother with his words than his actions. The therapist looked at me and said, yep, I got it right. Your father left you a powerful set of gifts. Gifts. <laughs> we preaching together. This is good. And I said, you better make it plain. <laughs> Or I'm, I'm out of here. I, I don't understand. And he said, what, he asked me a question that's changed my life forever. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a preacher. The therapist said, then it sounds like you can talk people out of hell and talk people into heaven. It sounds like you can talk people out of anxiety and talk people into peace. It sounds like you can talk people out of depression and talk people into joy. It sounds like your father blessed you, but you are so bitter at the vehicle that God used to bless you that you can't be thankful for the father that God actually gave you. God knew the raw ingredients that your daddy had and that your mom Ahead, and you've been thinking that God put you in the wrong family. Oh no, God knit you together in your mother's womb with the exact ingredients he knew that the previous generation didn't know how to handle, but he knew that he could trust it in you. The very thing that you think was, the, was God's mistake was his design. Your father blessed you. Your father taught you how to preach. You didn't know it. You thought you was going to learn how to preach at a seminary. You learned how to preach at a crack house. Why? Because it is the kind of God that we serve that instead of putting strength in the obvious place, which is muscles, he going to mess around and put strength in hair. Why would God put strength in hair when he could just as easily put strength in a bicep? Because this is the God that says, I'm never going to put strength in a place where the enemy can find it. I'm always going to camouflage the anointing on your life because when the enemy comes knocking, he's going to find you in the most dysfunctional family he gonna find you in Nazareth why cuz ain't nobody looking in Nazareth and this is the God who will slip the anointing of that the world needs in the most dysfunctional package that was the day I called my father and I said dad 
I had, he hadn't heard from me in years. I was like, hey, Pop. He said, hey, man. He said, thank you. He said, for what? <laughs> confused. I was like, thank you. Took me to that crack house when I was five, and angels were surrounding me. Would have never had angels surrounding me had you not neglected me. Remember that time you left me and mom in the house with no food? Yeah. For whatever reason, Catholic Charities rang the doorbell and gave us groceries. And I knew that God was my provider because you weren't my provider. You actually set me up to experience God in a unique way. And I've been preaching all around the world using this gift that the enemy meant for evil. And I knew how to harness this gift and use this gift that the enemy wanted me to be bitter about. For some of us, you hate yourself because you can't appreciate the source of where the blessing comes from. You hate your mama, you hate your daddy, but you just like them. And until you begin to appreciate where the blessing comes from, you'll never actually accept yourself. You've got to get your mind right. You've got to reframe your narrative and begin to interpret the things that are happening in your life in a different way. You are not a victim. You do not get to associate yourself with Jesus who rose from the dead and still be a victim. We declare over you, you are the head only and not the tail you are above only and never beneath you are the lender and not the borrower you can do all things through Christ that gives you strength and greater is he that is in you than he that's within the world you don't get to have the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead living in you and still call yourself a victim oh no we declare you are victorious you're blessed in the city blessed in the field blessed when you come blessed when you go and if the blessing of God rests on you, there's no generational curse that can claim you. I need a good amen in God's house this morning. There is nothing that the enemy can use to curse you if you are convinced you are blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed in a recession. I'm blessed when the economy is good. I'm blessed. Blessed in a pandemic, blessed out of the pandemic. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Call me crazy. I'm blessed. I'm just going to believe. I'm blessed. Because everything that I need to fulfill the purpose of God on my life is dependent upon what I think. If I think I'm cursed, I will be cursed. If I think I'm blessed, I will be blessed. If I think I'm prosperous, I will be prosperous. If I think it, I can have it. Because so a man thinketh, it is so. Come on, I want to go to chapter 7. Come on, can we honor your pastors who are in the room? I love you so much. Oh, that's kind of weak. Can we honor your pastors who are in the room? Pastor Phil and Meredith, we love you. You guys are so kind and so awesome. When I was here last time, it was a video, you know, from Australia. I got to hug you this time, and I love you. I love you, love you, love you. And our founding pastors are in the room. Come on, Pastor Michael and Kathy Pitts. Do we love them? Come on. So honored that you're here. And um, preaching in front of Bishop makes me nervous, but, you know, it's okay. We're just going to have to get over it. <laughs> I feel like you've forgotten more things than I know, you know what I mean? Uh, and so, come on, let's go. We're going to go. Are, are you ready for the word? I've already started preaching, but you ready for the word? 
Let's do this. Let's do this. Uh, I'm going to preach chapter 7 of this book, Brainwashed, okay? I'm going to grab my iPad, and we're going to do this thing. We're going to do this thing. Um, I've got a message that I think is really going to help you, uh, and we're going to go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Come on. If you've got a Bible, go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Um, and we'll, we'll have the book, I think, in the lobby somewhere. I'll sign as many books as, as, as people want signed. We made sure my flight's not till 5 o'clock. We're going to sign books. And so uh, I'll take selfies and hug you and love you. And I'm an extrovert, so I may be a little sweaty after preaching, but I'll give you a sweaty hug. It's all good. Come on, Luke chapter 8, Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Uh, and if there's a word that I don't say, then you can kind of say the word that I don't say. We'll do fill-in-the-blank style. Luke chapter 8, we're going to start reading in verse 22. Uh, remember, if there's a word I don't say... I want you to go ahead and say the word, and we got it up on the screens for you, so let's go. One day, Jesus. Come on, everybody. One day, Jesus. It's important that Jesus said something, okay, to his disciples. Let us go to the other side of the... So they got into a boat and set out. Verse 23. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. I just want to stop right here. Not going to take a long time, but is there anybody else in the room who's frustrated that God decides to take naps <laughs> while I'm going through storms? Anybody else? Anybody else frustrated? Okay. It's like, come on, you could have timed your nap a little better than this. Actually, I'd like it to be reversed. No, not let me take a nap. How about you take naps when life's good? <laughs> Anybody ever, come on, you're going through a storm. It's like, I can't hear from God. My devotions is dry. You know what I'm saying? God is knocked out in the middle of my storm. Why is it that my storm triggers you to sleep? Okay? Come on, we're going to talk about that later. Okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna wrap that up before, before we get out of here. Verse 24. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master. We're going to drown. I need us to get this, okay? Get the, get the, this is the complexity of the human experience. Master, master, we don't believe you're our master. Master, we got, we too saved to not address you as master. But then we're going to say something after we've called you master that proves that you're not actually our master. Master, master, we believe the storm is the master. We are going to drown. These jokers didn't come and say, context clues would suggest, Jesus, that drowning is a possibility. They didn't say, we may drown. We didn't, they didn't say, we feel like we're going to drown. They said, with confidence, surety, and conviction, we are going to drown, but you're our master. Don't even act like you ain't never spent 30 whole minutes worshiping him only to sit down and let your bills be your master. Don't even act like you have not come to church a time or two and called him master through the whole worship set only for your, your teenage son who's not following God right now to be stressed out about that while the sermon is going on. Come on, we too saved to not call him master. 
But what we are worried about actually reveals whether he is actually the master of your emotions, the master of your mind, the master of your life, or if we're just paying him lip service. Here we go. Let's keep reading. We're just reading the Bible. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was now, we got to deal with this, okay? And we're going to open up a tab, okay? And, and I got ADHD. I open up lots of tabs. And anybody married to somebody with ADHD, just a bunch of tabs open. Anytime my wife grabs my laptop, she is like, how do you function, okay? We're going to open up a tab, but I promise we're going to close it. She's like pointing at her husband. <laughs> She's like, right here, okay? We, I understand, I understand. But we're going to close this tab, okay? Pastor Phil, keep me accountable, okay? We're going to close the tab before the end of the sermon, okay? Because it doesn't make sense that Jesus rebukes the wind. Because you can only rebuke that which is in rebellion. Come on, every good parent knows this. You instruct ignorance. You rebuke rebellion. See, some, there's not a lot of amens. Some of y'all been popping kids and they don't even know what they're doing wrong. <laughs> you instruct. If someone's ignorant, you have to give instruction. Once they have proven that you've done a good job instructing, that is the only time where discipline is actually effective because they're not in rebellion until they're out of ignorance. So it doesn't make sense that Jesus is rebuking stuff because Jesus, the wind is just winding. That's what it does. The water's just watering. The storm is just storming. Why is Jesus rebuking nature? For just doing what nature does. So we're going to open up that tab. Okay, keep that tab open, okay? We're going to close that tab before the end of the service, okay? Here we go. Uh, then Jesus, after he rebukes the situation, needs to have a conversation with the disciples. Because he's not just your magician. He's your God. He's not just the genie who calms the storm. He actually wants you to know how to act like him and behave like him and think like him. So Jesus now breaks into a conversation. He asks a very poignant question. Verse 25, where is your faith? Where is your faith? He asks his disciples. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? They don't answer the question. Who is this? <laughs> Who is this? He commands even the and the and they obey him. I, I, I want to I center right there. Where is your faith? Because a lot of times in church, I think that we assume that what Jesus is saying is that y'all don't have faith. But Jesus says that in other places. Jesus knows how to quantify and measure faith. He's actually really, really good at it. To the Roman centurion, he says, you have great faith. Other times he says, your faith made you well. And then I love this. This is my back, best backhanded compliment in the Bible. At one point, he says to the disciples, you have little faith. But then he says, but even faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. It's like God's version of saying, your faith is bad, but eh, it'll do. It'll work. You know what I'm saying? It's very, very nice and gracious of Jesus, okay? This is not a moment where Jesus is commenting on the measure of their faith. This is a moment where he is commenting on the misplacement of their faith. Jesus wakes up and he senses the presence of faith on the boat. 
The problem is that their faith is not in him. Their faith is in a place that it should not be. And I want to help you today because if I say to you, where is your car? That means you have a car. If I say, where is your husband? I ain't asking in faith. I'm actually asking. Where is your husband? When Jesus says, where is your faith? He is affirming the fact that they do have faith, but their faith is in the wrong place. I want to help us because we got a whole generation, uh uh-oh, that's leaving church and deconstructing because a pastor cheated on his wife. Baby, all that reveals is that your faith was in the pastor, not in God. It's Jesus' faithfulness to his bride that got me saved, not this person's faithfulness to their bride that's going to get me saved. So you can do what you want. I'm not condone his sin I'm just saying my happy hips gonna stay in church cause my faith is not in your gift my faith is in God the grass withers and the flower fades but God's word remains forever and one monkey ain't gonna stop no show God's church is gonna keep on moving you didn't even know your faith was in the pastor until a scandal broke out Because nothing reveals where your faith is like a storm. Where is your faith? Is it in the government? Where is your faith? Is it in people? Where is your faith? In institutions that are not eternal? Where is your faith? The question is not, do you have faith? The question is, where is it? Because my faith is not in the doctor's report. Hello. Me and my wife battled with infertility for five years. We would sit across with people who are like, well, you know, and I'd be very difficult to work with. Because I'm like, yeah, we're going to pray before you do this procedure. They're like, well, you know, my degree is blah, 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 blah. My faith is not in your degree. I don't care where you got that degree from. My faith is in the physician that knows how to heal me, who knit me together in my mother's womb. My faith is not in the loan officer. You said I'm not approved for the loan? Well, we just gonna keep looking around for a loan officer who will approve it, because my faith is not in you. My faith is in a God who knows more than you. Where is your faith? My faith is not in my fraternity or sorority association. My faith is not in my last name. My faith is not in my degree. My faith is not in what I know my faith is in a God who is invisible who I have a relationship with where is your faith I give not based on the numbers in the account because my faith is not in this money uh oh come on I give based on what I've heard I I have faith in the provider more than I have faith in the provision. Where is your faith? Here we go. In order to figure out where the disciples' faith was, are you learning anything this morning? Just helpful, just helpful. Here we go. I'm I'm gonna give you some paradigms. In order to answer the question, where was their faith? We've gotta redefine three words. And and I need to teach you a principle. Because faith is not positive or negative. It's actually neutral. It's in the question that Jesus says, where is your faith? Faith will either work for you or against you. What makes faith positive or negative is not faith itself, it's where you place faith. Faith in God brings life. Faith in Buddha brings death. Faith works either way. 
I was thinking I would get a couple more amens when I said faith in Buddha brings death. We are Christians, right? <laughs> Christian check. Oh, okay, 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 we're good. Okay. Oh, <laughs> faith in Allah brings death. Amen, church. Okay. Just had a check. All right, we're in the right place. All right. Where I place my faith actually determines whether or not faith is going to bring God's designed destiny or the enemy's destiny into my life. So faith works, period. I don't even have to be saved to access faith. There's times I listen to Warren Buffett and these billionaires talking, I'm just like, this is faith. You mean I just knew to invest in this stock? Come on. What you mean you just knew? Anyway, okay, let's keep going. Let's redefine three words. First word that we're gonna redefine is anxiety. Here we go, I'm gonna throw you a curveball. Let's redefine anxiety. Anxiety is the proof that you are creative. You have never met a creative person until you meet somebody struggling with anxiety. An anxious person has made up scenarios about tomorrow, next week, next month. Anxiety, you are not even able to be anxious, get this, without an imagination. Which means, if your mind is the best tool that God has ever given you, the enemy understands the threat of that tool and wants to hijack your imagination so that your imagination doesn't produce the outcome that God wants, but that your imagination goes into your tomorrow and pulls disaster and doom and destruction into your today. All anxiety is, is your inability to harness your imagination for God's intended purposes, but you have yielded the power of your imagination to your flesh and to the enemy. You can't even be anxious without using the imagination that God gave you. Anxiety is just proof that you got faith. But because faith is not positive or negative, you are using all that faith to pull stress and worry and depression into your today. Get this, if you are gonna waste your time sitting on a round trip flight into tomorrow back into today, you may as well go into tomorrow, create a tomorrow that is full of blessing, full of abundance, full of God dreams, full of rain. You may as well go into tomorrow, create a scenario that is gonna bless you and come on back into today and have a good mood. Here we go, here we go. I'm gonna say something a little controversial, it's okay. All Italian food is like the same stuff. It's the same stuff. I, we went to this place, we were in Vegas, we went to this place called Italy. It's like, you know, eat Ali, you know? It's like an Italian food court. It's lasagna, spaghetti, pizza, it's all this Italian stuff. And I went, it's the same ingredients. Sauce, some meat, and pasta. The pasta's uncut, it's just lasagna. When they cut it, it's noodles. It, this is the same stuff. Over and over and over again. It's just bread and cheese and sauce and meat. It's all Italian food's the same stuff. You're just eating Italian food in a different form. 
Come on. Which means God gives you ingredients. You get to choose which meal you make. The ingredients of creativity and imagination are yours. If you are going to create a meal of anxiety, that is your decision. But you can't even create that meal without the ingredients that God gave you. Anxiety is the proof that you are a creative individual who has the power to imagine. And if you are going to use it, you, you may as well just go ahead and harness that power for God and use it to bring blessing and peace into your life. Here we go. Next word. You ready for the next one? Worry. Worry is the proof that you have the ability to focus. Worry is the proof that you know how to meditate. You ain't met nobody who can meditate until you have met somebody who's worried. Your girlfriend could be right in front of you having a full-blown conversation and girl, you know, da, 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 da. let you be worried about your son. You will stop her after eight minutes like, girl, I was not even listening. What did you say? You know my son, he on the weed, girl. He on the weed and I'm stressed out. Can you repeat what you said? Come on, worry. Now, I'm gonna be honest with y'all. I, I <laughs> this is gonna be funny, I hope. My first grade teacher tried to tell my mom I had ADHD. I had a black mama, single mama, you know what I'm saying? She was not having it. How dare you label my son? He does not have ADHD. And then I got to college. Had to call my mama. I was like, mama, they was right. <laughs> I had the ADHD, okay? I had it, I still got it, okay? Here we go, let me help all the parents in the room. ADHD is not a problem. It's not a problem for your kid. It's a problem for their teacher. ADHD is the way that God designed me. If God wanted me neurotypical, he would have made me neurotypical. But I was not designed to handle typical problems. Uh-oh. I was designed by God the way that I was designed. The only problem that I've ever had with ADHD is that you are sticking me in a classroom. ADHD is only a problem if you are trying to stick a square peg into a round hole. Stop telling your kid that their ADHD is a problem. It is their superpower. Get our, uh-oh, see, see. Advocate for your, my mama shouldn't have denied that I had it. She should have championed the fact that I had it. Boy, you got it. You got the ADHD. Cutting people's hair in school, I'm doing all types of crazy stuff. I had it, okay? I'm a terrible employee. I'm a terrible employee. I'm, always been a terrible employee, but I wasn't designed to be an employee. I was never designed to be an employee. I write books. What? Employees don't do that. I do all types of phenomenal things that people with ADHD do. You know what works better than any medication I've ever been on? I've been on Adderall, I've been on Ritalin, I've been on all of them. Worry. Let me be worried about something. Oh, baby, I can focus. With all the ADHD in the world, I can focus if I'm worried. Why? Because worry and worship are opposites of each other. If you can worry about the problem, 
then that means you have the ability to worship the God who has already provided a solution to that problem. If you have the ingredient of meditation and focus, then stop letting worry trigger you to use that muscle. How about you start letting the God of the universe who wants your awe and your attention to trigger you into focusing and meditating before there's ever even a problem. Here we go. Here's how I know worry and worship are opposites of each other. Because, I'm, you know, I'm getting this doctorate right now. I'm in a doctoral program. I'm proud of this thing. My wife asked me, are you going to change your Instagram handle when you get this doctorate? And I went, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, papers I've written to get this thing? Yes, I'm changing my Instagram handle. I will be Dr. Manny Arango, okay? So you're about to get all this nerdy smoke real quick, okay? You're going to get this nerdiness, okay? The Bible says that God is an ever- present help in the time what of trouble or time of need okay he's an ever present help in the time of what trouble okay present that word present if we break that word down it means pre sent he's eternally present past present and future he's outside of time which means he knew you were going to have a problem in 2022 and the I am that I am sent himself ahead of you into 2022. Worship is your ability to hit the problem and go, I sense the presence of God here. I sense that God was here before I was here. And I dare not let God be here and me not worship. I know that the problem is not going to make me focus more than the God of the universe. And since God was present into this scenario, I will worship him because the I am that I am has the ability to be peace if my problem is anxiety. He's got the ability to be joy if my problem is depression he's got the ability to be provision if my problem is poverty and I am not gonna worry about this problem more than I worship the God who was here before I arrived at the scenario that I deem as problematic I need a good amen in church yeah. worry is not your problem the meal you're cooking is your problem third word here we go you ready that's 18 of you 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 ready? Fear. Fear. Fear is the acknowledgement that there's something stronger than you. Fear is a phenomenal thing. My dad has stayed an addict for so long because he ain't got no fear. He should be afraid, but he's not because fear is a protector. You're not even at wisdom until you get afraid. The fear of the Lord is the what? Beginning of wisdom. God's like, before you can even get wise, you better get scared. What is godly wisdom? It's understanding the consequence of an action before it happens. Come on, let's break this down. Adam and Eve sin, then they get scared. They sin first, then hide. Wisdom is having Tesla foresight. There's an accident four cars ahead. And I know how this is gonna end. And I'm afraid of how it's gonna end, therefore I have self-control here. Uh-oh. Yeah. Some of y'all got discernment but no self-control. What good is it that you discern that she was gonna ruin your life but you, uh-oh. What good is it to have prophetic gifts and discernment and you know, you know this is gonna end bad. 
Godly fear is not paralyzing fear. It's the fear that gives you foresight into how something is going to end. What I'm afraid of determines whether or not fear is positive or negative. Two groups of people walking here today. Now, this is a phenomenal church. I mean, this church is an anomaly in a lot of ways. I get to, do, I get to preach at maybe 60 to 70 churches a year. This is one of my favorite places on the planet. It's one of the only churches where there's an actual successful succession plan. This is one of the only churches where the presence of God is this strong on a Sunday. Like, this church is incredible. It's one of the most diverse churches I've ever seen. I mean, this church is incredible. It's a phenomenal church. Phenomenal church. Seriously, I've been blown away both times I've been here. It's an incredible church. If I didn't mean it, I just wouldn't say nothing. <laughs> Doesn't matter how awesome this church is, two groups of people walked in here today. One group of people who walked in here going, I don't want to lift up my hands. I don't want to draw attention to myself. I don't sing that good. I can't sing too loud. Now people are going to look at me. You know what I'm saying? Ah, you know, I, I, I just don't feel comfortable. Then there's another group of people who walked up in here today. And you will let your mascara run down your face. You will sweat your weave out. You will get undignified in God's presence because the first group is operating under the fear of man. The second group is operating under the fear of the Lord. And you care more about getting out of God's presence and not having given God the praise that is due his name what you care about your neighbor or what you care about what somebody else got to say about you which means fear unlocks praise in your life fear is not a negative thing fear can be a very 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 positive thing based on what you are afraid of I'm gonna challenge you because I know a lot of people they're scared to build an ark that never gets used I'm operating under the opposite fear. I'm operating under the fear that God's miraculous downpour of rain will happen. And I'm scared I'll get stuck with no ark. Uh-oh. See, when doctors told us we would never get pregnant and I went and bought a crib and bought a bigger house and bought a diaper genie and bought onesies, all my friends went, that's a lot of pressure on your wife. I said, that's not a lot of pressure on my wife. That's a lot of pressure on God. You're scared to buy a bigger house because money is your God. You're scared to buy the diaper genie because money is your God. You're scared to buy the crib because your emotions are your God. My faith is not in any of those things. My faith is in a God who knows how to do the miraculous. And I'm not scared of having a diaper genie or a crib or a house that never gets filled. I'm scared that God will do it and I'm not going to be prepared. I've got the opposite fear. I'm still operating in fear, but I'm scared that I'll make God mad. I'm scared that God will provoke faith in me and will be displeased because there's unbelief in me. I'm not scared of losing his money. Money? What is money? Are you serious? A down payment for a house? Because God convicted me. We was in the fertility clinic and they always leave. You know, in the middle of the appointment, they leave gives me and your wife time, time to talk and they come back. And while it's gone, I said, hey, the Holy Spirit just told me. She's like, you're such a preacher. The Holy Spirit always talking to you. The Holy Spirit told me, Manny, why do you believe in God for kids? You live in an 800 square foot apartment. How are you going to raise kids in an 800 square foot apartment? You don't even believe that y'all are actually going to get pregnant. Stretch out your tent pegs. Why are you asking me for new wine and you don't have no wineskins? Why are you asking me for a miracle that you have yet to prepare for? See, 
both operating in fear. One person's fear causes them to operate in scarcity. Another person's fear of making God upset forces them to operate in abundance. Which means fear is not a positive or negative thing. It's a neutral thing. And the object of your fear determines whether or not that fear works for you or against you. I need a good amen in church. Okay, so we've reframed three words. Here we go. We're going to wrap this up. So where was their faith? I'll tell you exactly where their faith was. Jesus wakes up and he goes, where's your faith? They had told on themselves, master, master, we're going to their faith was in the storm. So impressed with what the enemy is doing that they lost sight of where their faith actually should have been. See, come on. A lot of us, we are too saved. Too saved for the enemy to show up with a pitchfork and horns, ring your front doorbell and say, bow down and worship me. You too saved, especially if you're black. Black people don't play. I had a drug dealing cousin, you know what I'm saying? My cousin sold drugs and killed a person. I know he did. When he would be like, a Ouija board? Oh, no, 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 I'm scared of God. You know, black, black people got boundaries. Black people are like, uh-uh, no. The occult? Oh, no, 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 uh-uh, absolutely not, absolutely not. You are a stone-cold heathen in every other area of your life. But when it comes to God, you're like, mm-mm. I, I do the cross when I pass by a church, Pastor. I, black people are like, mm-mm, no way. I ain't worshiping you. <laughs> You know it's true. You know it's true. <laughs> White people be dabbling in stuff. Black people like, uh-uh, no way. <laughs> I find it. You ain't been to church in two years. You're talking about binding stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just, I'm binding stuff. <laughs> the exodus is real, you know. <laughs> it's so true. The devil know you too saved. He is not showing up to your house with a pitchfork and horns. You would never bow down and worship him. So here's what he does. He wraps himself up in the winds and the waves of life. This is why Jesus rebukes the storm. He doesn't calm it. He rebukes it. Because what God understands, I'm going to give you all this PhD smoke. You're going to get this. The God of the old, the God, lower key, case G, the idol of the Old Testament, that the Israelites were always drawn to worship was this God named Baal. Some of us know this God as Baal. Let me help you. He was the storm God. The storm God. He's typically depicted riding on clouds, which is why when Daniel and Ezekiel get a vision of Jesus, they say he's the one riding on the clouds because he is the one who has the ability to calm the waves, to calm the storms. And for a lot of us, you are not going to the temple of Baal to worship a literal storm God, but every single time a storm breaks out in your life, the storm gets all of your attention. The storm gets all of your worry. The storm gets all of your anxiety. The storm gets all of your fear. The storm gets all of your faith. And if the storm gets your faith, the storm has your allegiance. If the storm gets your faith, the storm has your attention. Some of us are so stressed out about what the doctor said that you forgot that God said that you will live in the land and you will have a long life. You forgot about every promise that God ever gave you the moment a storm broke out in your life. And my question today is where is your faith? Where is your faith? 
Their faith is in the storm. So Jesus doesn't just bring peace to the storm. He rebukes the storm and he declares your allegiance should be where? Here we go. Put up Luke, Luke chapter 8 verse 22. Where should their faith have been? I love this. Because if we're going to talk about where their faith was, then I have to tell you where their faith should have been. Here we go. Luke chapter 8 verse 22. One day Jesus... One day, Jesus, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What did Jesus say? Let us go over to the other side of the lake. When Jesus, you get into Jesus' boat, Jesus gets into the boat, you start going to the other side of the lake. In the middle of the journey, a storm breaks out. There's only one relevant question when a storm breaks out. I'm not giving the storm my attention. I'm not giving the storm my faith. I'm not giving the storm my worry. I'm not giving the storm my anxiety. There's only one relevant question. Storm, are you the other side of the lake? I think not. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he would change his mind. If God said we're getting to the other side of the lake, the storm is a test to ask me a question where is my faith I see you storm I don't care that you're here I'm on a mission I'm gonna put one foot in front of the other and I'm getting to my divine destination I'm getting to the other side of the lake I'm not dying here I'm not dying here this storm I'm not impressed God made me a promise. Get this. You're going to love this. My wife is 21 years old, living in Orlando, Florida. Three separate people on three separate occasions walked up to my wife. My wife is not married. She's not dating me. My wife is a virgin at the time. Three different people walked up to my wife and said, I had a dream. You were holding a child. My wife was like, I rebuked that. If he's trying to do a Virgin Mary thing, I, nah, I'm, I'm good. I had a dream. You were holding a child. Second person, I had a dream. You were at a graduation. It was your son. It was your daughter's graduation. I could just sense it in the dream. Third person, I just had a dream that there was a mother, a mother's anointing that was on your life. Three separate occasions, my, my wife was weirded out. This is why you need crazy people in church. Because God doesn't give you a word for now. He gives you a word for the storm. He gives you a word so when the storm breaks out, you can say, my faith is in what God promised me. My faith is in what God said. When God spoke it, there was no infertility. When God spoke it, we were not aware that it was going to take us years to get pregnant. But every time the doctor said it wouldn't happen, I reminded my wife of the prophetic word that three different people gave her. We can keep moving through this storm because my faith ain't in this doctor. My faith is in what God said. My faith is not in your diagnosis. My faith is in what God promised. God is not a liar. Your kid is wilding out right now. Okay, what did God say to you when you was pregnant? What does the Holy Spirit do? He brings back to our remembrance. We got... We do speaking engagements all over the world. 
God has blessed us. Like, I, I'm blown away. And sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, random individuals pick me up from the airport. People I do not know. You know, interns, pastors, who knows, the janitor. Like, I mean, random people just pick me up from the airport. Let me tell you, it does not matter if it took me a whole day to get there. Don't matter if I'm jet lagged. Don't matter if I'm in a different time zone. Guess what I never do? I never fall asleep while a stranger is driving me around. I don't know your driver's licenses. I don't know. I don't know what you have no idea. I don't know if you know how to drive. I don't know who you are. There's no, I am alert and aware and awake. And most of the times when we get into a car, Sam who travels with me, he'll get in the front seat. I will get in the back seat. I'm least likely to survive a car accident if I'm back here. Let me fly into Dallas. One of our ministry partners picks us up. Let me fly into Dallas. One of, one of the guys who's been with me for years picks me up from the airport. If I've been on a preaching trip and I'm tired, I'll recline that seat and I will go straight to sleep because I only sleep in vehicles with people I trust. Some of us are so angry that Jesus has slept in our boat. He wouldn't even fall asleep in a boat with you if he did not trust that you had the ability to navigate the boat to the other side of the lake. You better get over your separation anxiety and realize that just because God sleep doesn't mean he's neglected you. Just because he sleep doesn't mean that he's forsaken you. He sleep because he trusts you. He would never fall asleep in a vessel with somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Jesus, go ahead, go to sleep. I used to be frustrated that Jesus fell asleep in the middle of my storms. Now it's a badge of honor. Because if Jesus is sleeping in my storm, it means that he trusts me to go through some things that other people wouldn't know how to navigate. It's okay if he's a little silent, a little quiet. I sense that he's napping on my boat. And I have more faith in a God who's knocked out than in the storm who wants to claim my allegiance, claim my attention, and claim my faith. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? What storm have you placed your faith in? I want to pray for you. If you're in the room today and you're saying, Pastor Manny, you're preaching to me. First, I want to pray. Come on, you've been struggling with anxiety. And God doesn't just want to give you peace. He wants to bring order into your life. God's solution for anxiety is not peace. It's order. Genesis chapter 1. The creation is all over the place. It's tohu vavohu. It's uninhabitable for humans. God doesn't bring peace to Genesis chapter 1. He brings order. He starts separating waters from waters. He brings dry land. He administrates and organizes in order. You cannot defy God's order and think you can get peace. You'll get peace at an altar call, but it'll be like empty pockets. You'll, you won't have peace by Tuesday. God doesn't just want to bring peace into your life. He wants to bring order so that peace can stay. If you're in the room and you're like, I've been battling with anxiety. I never saw it as my giftedness or my imagination or my creativity, and I need to get free. Come on, if that's you, just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. God, right now, come on. We take authority 
like Jesus we rebuke the storm we rebuke the storm that's inside of our soul we rebuke the storm because it's in rebellion we rebuke the storm and we declare right now your faith is in God you can have peace your faith is in God you can have peace you know how this ends you can have peace we declare right now a reordered soul if things are out of order God we declare in the next 30 days you're gonna help every individual with their hand lifted to bring things in hierarchy to bring things in order to orchestrate their life to follow the order of heaven we declare right now we rebuke anxiety in the name of Jesus come on if you're in the room you've been afraid of the wrong stuff fear has claimed you you've been afraid of bankruptcy you've been afraid of divorce you've been afraid of all the wrong stuff and you need the fear of the Lord to actually begin to guide you come on wave at me wonder who I'm praying for Come on, God, we ask for divine fear, healthy fear, awe, reverence, not paralyzing fear. God, take the fear that we have, redirect it, and help us to harness it in the name of Jesus. Last one. Right now, you're in the middle of a storm. You feel convicted. You've given the storm your faith, and God needs to remind you of the promise that he made you. Come on, lift your hands if that's you. We circumcise your ear to hear from heaven. We circumcise your ear to hear from God to remember the promises that he made you. We declare right now over your life that faith is going to erupt. Faith is going to resurrect. We speak right now to every area that the enemy has told you will kill you and we declare right now the storm will not claim your life. You will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We declare that God's faithful and he's going to be good over his word. That his word is not going to return to him void but he's going to do the very thing that he promised you that he would do. God, we ask that your word would become active again in our life. If your word has become dormant, let the promises of God wake up in our belly. God, we ask that we would pray bold prayers, that we would take faith steps, and that we would take back control of our mind. God, we release a blessing over the house. God, we release a blessing over your people from the balcony to the floor, from the left to the right, from the front to the back. God, we declare right now the ability to take every thought captive is available to us. We reject the mind of Adam. We adopt the mind of Christ. And God, I ask that the words that we have spoken today wouldn't fall on deaf ears or fallow ground, but God, that you would be faithful to make the seed multiply into a harvest of righteousness at Cornerstone Church. Come on. God, we thank you. Come on, let's praise the Lord all over the room. Cornerstone Church, I love you.